Let's open our Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. As we're making our way through the scriptures, we have uh, 10, 11, and 12 left in Daniel before we go into the book of Hosea. We will be in Hosea um, this morning, but let's go back to our text where Paul was reading for us earlier, verses 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Well, Daniel chapter 9, I'm quoting a... Dr. Philip Newell, where he says this is one of the most remarkable chapters in Scripture, the greatest chapter in the book of Daniel, and one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. We sort of wrestled when we were trying to come up with the title, what to call the morning's message, and all we could think of is it's the greatest prophecy in the Bible. But also, in it contains also one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. So to say that this is a unique prophecy is a great, would be a great understatement. And um, if you're hearing this for the first time, uh, be patient. <laughs> it takes a little bit going through this several times to be able to wrap your head around all that's being said in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel, if you go back to verse 1, we find out 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans there would be Babylon. We've, we've changed empires from the Babylonian to uh, the Medo-Persian. Um, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord, given through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar came against um, Jerusalem, he came at three different times. The very first one was to... I hope you guys rolled up your windows this morning in your cars. (laughs) Somebody just remembered that they didn't. (laughs) Um, Daniel has been there full, 
the full duration, we figure he was about 17 when the first attack by Nebuchadnezzar came. So he's been there the whole time. And so he's listening to Ezekiel in Babylon, and Jeremiah is down in Jerusalem giving this warning that unless they repent, um, they're going to go into captivity. Uh, the false prophets were saying, don't worry about a thing, everything's cool, you don't have, everything's going to be fine. Well, now it's 70 years later. Jeremiah and Ezekiel have proven to be true prophets. The ones who said they were going home proved to be false prophets. So as we see this, 70 years has come. And Daniel from 17 is an old man by now. He said he was reading the book of Jeremiah. I wonder how many churches actually teach through Jeremiah and Ezekiel in these days. But yet, um, Daniel was a student of these two prophets, and he quotes them right from the beginning. 70 years, 70 years has come. He's been keeping track, and he's basically, at this point, um, setting his heart to pray. Now, before we get to the prayer, which is in verses um, uh, 5 through 19, I want to go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, where we're having the dedication of Solomon's temple, the very temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed had its day when the glory of the Lord came and rested upon it. In verse 10 of chapter 8, it said, It came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So here we have the very beginning, dedication day. Solomon, the first part of this, he gives a Bible study, but then picking it up, um, he begins in verse 33 with this prayer. And I'd like to draw your attention to that, First Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 33. And this is sort of a just-in-case prayer. He says, When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and, and they turn their back on you and uh, confess your name and pray, and make supplication to you in this temple, then here in heaven, forgive the sins of your people Israel, and bring them back from the land you gave to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name, and turn from their sin because you afflicted them, then here in heaven and forgive the sins of your servant, your people Israel, uh, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and give rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So this was the dedication prayer. Lord, just in case they sin and start worshiping other gods and, and you have to take them and put them into another land, if they do that, but if they confess their sins that you were right, we were wrong, then remember and let them come back. That is exactly what is happening. Make your way back to Daniel 9. Don't think for a second that Daniel didn't know that dedication message from Solomon. And now beginning in verse 3, 
we, we have, then I, this would be Daniel, set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, with sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made confession and said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenants with mercy with those who love him, with those who keep his commandments. This prayer of Daniel is a painful performance. Uh, Daniel prayed with fasting. He put on sackcloth and he put ashes on his head. Uh, This was not done for an outward show, but really to reveal the sincerity of his heart. I remember what Solomon said, that if we mess up and you have to deal with us and you drive us out, but if we confess it and repent, then Lord, would you hear? So the outward display is more of a reaction of an inward humility and sincere repentance. Uh, Prayer was not just a repetition of idle words or putting together pretty phrases with flowery grammar. The Lord, when he talked about prayer, he says, but when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. In other words, don't say the same prayer over and over and over again. Um, as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Such is not real prayer. Prayer is like talking to your best friend. In this case, prayer is a, a sincere, heartfelt prayer of repentance. It's time to go home, Lord. And between verses 5 and verse 16, what we're going to notice is it's all repentance. And we're also going to notice that the prayer sort of builds as a crescendo. In other words, the more he's praying about it, I think the more he's convicted of it, where it really builds and builds and builds. We're going to read 5 through 16 and let the scripture speak for itself. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither, Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, that would be Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who spoke in your name, to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far out in the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, To us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servant, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his word which he's spoken against us, against our judges who judged us, bringing upon us great disaster, 
For under the whole heaven such never has been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet what Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the, this disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works, which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away uh, from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all people who are around us. Up till this verse right here, is Daniel in sackcloth and ashes, just really pouring out his heart and admitting that they have not kept um, the statutes and the laws that were there. Now we have a therefore. After the repentance, he says in verse 17, now therefore. God, hear the prayer of your servant. I can't help but think he's thinking of Solomon when the temple was dedicated. Now, therefore, God, hear the prayer of your your servant with his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. And here's where the building crescendo, I think, begins to take off. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. Please see the explanation point. O Lord, forgive. Explanation point. O Lord, listen and act. Explanation point. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. I think he would have went on praying. But in the middle of the prayer, he's interrupted by none other than Gabriel, the archangel. So here we are in this intense prayer, one of the greatest prayers of repentance in the scriptures. And beginning with 20 through 23, He says, while I was speaking and praying, uh, this reminds me of Peter witnessing to Cornelius in his house. He was giving a Bible study, and in the middle of the Bible study, the Holy Spirit falls on all the people, and they began to speak in tongues. And it completely blew the minds of all the Jews that were there that a Gentile could actually be saved. Well, Daniel is in intense prayer at this moment, but he's interrupted by Gabriel while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, it's really the uh, archangel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, 
Do angels fly? They sure do. Reached me about the time of the evening offering. Now, the offerings would have been during the morning and, the, and noon and evening offerings. So he's giving us a time reference in verse 21. And he informed me and he talked with me and he said, Oh, Daniel, I have come now to come forth to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, somebody has timed this out. Matter of fact, I timed it out one time. It's a three-minute prayer, if, if you read it. So um, it's been suggested it takes three minutes for an angel to leave the heaven and make it to earth. I don't think so. <laughs> Prayers are instantaneously. Uh, next week, we're going to discover that it took three weeks for a prayer to get to Daniel because of spiritual warfare. So here, as soon as Daniel began to repent and pray, Gabriel said, I was sent to give you skill and understanding at the beginning of your supplication. The, the command went out, and I have now come to tell you. Now, This is important, this next part here. And that is the message of love before the message of information. That's so important what I just said that I have to say it again. The message of love that God loves you is more important than the information that he can give to you. My text for that is 1 Corinthians 13. Though I have the gift to move mountains, though I give my life to be burned, though I have the gift of tongues and can speak in other languages. It could be like a, nothing without love. So first word of information, Daniel, the Father wants to know, so let you know that you are greatly beloved. And in case you're doubting that this morning, let me say it. You are one of a kind, which makes you extremely rare and extremely precious. You're one of a kind. And you are greatly loved because of who you are. You're somebody who existed before the foundation of this world, according to the Psalms. Uh, David said, before I was in my mother's womb, you, you knew me. And you wrote all my days out ahead of me. So if you get nothing out of this, this Bible study this morning is one of those with over-the-top biblical information and some of the most important But it's secondary to this line right here. Know that you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Which brings us to our text this morning, verse 24, where we have 70 weeks are determined. Now, let me just stop right there. The Hebrew word for seven is Shabuah, meaning a unit of measure. It would be uh, comparable to um, getting a dozen eggs. Uh, it could be compar- comparable to a decade, um, 10. 70 weeks means 77s. It could be 77s of anything. It could be units of days or months or years. But in the context of this verse, it is plain that Daniel has been reading Jeremiah about 70 years. Jeremiah has been preaching and writing that the captivity would be for 70 years. The 70 years of captivity were the specific penalty for violating uh, 70 Sabbath years. Every seventh year, they were to let the land lay dormant. 
so it could, you know, refertilize itself and gain its nutrients. They didn't do it. That would be 77s, a total of 490 years. In those 490 years, Israel had violated exactly 70 Sabbath years, so they would go into captivity for 70 years to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, where he quotes, until the land has enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. That's Second Chronicles, if you're taking notes this morning, 36 verse 21. So, as we look at 70 weeks here, um, the Hebrew word again is um, Shabuah. We actually are talking a 490-year period of time. Now, during that 490-year period of time, um, what I'm going to read next is a very, very important Bible scripture because I believe false doctrine has come out of not understanding the verse I'm about to read next. It says, The 490 years deal specifically for your people, so we're talking about Israel, and your holy city. So we have to keep in view that when we get down to verse 7, 27 down here, um, we're going to have one week. One week is equal to seven years. So the prophecy has to be kept in context. And the context of this prophecy is about two things. The Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. That's why when we read Psalm 48 this morning, walk around her gates and her walls, and so you can tell the generation to come about the city of, of Jerusalem. It's, that's what we have in view here, and it has to be for uh, a 490-year period of time. Now, there's going to be um, six things that I'll comment on briefly that is going to be fulfilled uh, for Israel during this uh, 490-year period of time. Okay, so one week equals seven years. Seventy weeks equals 490 years. Uh, The 70 weeks is divided into three periods here, the seven weeks, the 62 weeks, and the one week. Um, The... 490 years works out, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail later, 173,880 days. Now, number one, um, six things are to be accomplished uh, during this period of time. Some have already been fulfilled, and some have not. And I'll point out the ones which have been and the ones which have not. Number one, it says to finish the transgression. To finish the transgression, this refers to the transgression of Israel. The cross provided the redemption for sin, for the sin of the nation, but they did not all accept it. Yes, the early church, up to Cornelius, they were all Jews, but not many. So the first one is, and I'm going to come back to that um, here in, in, uh, in the second one, in Zechariah 3.1, it says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. This has not been opened yet. 
And all you have to do is to look at the land of Israel to know this today. Second one we find is to uh, make an end of sins. Uh, The nation sins of Israel will come to an end at the second coming of Christ. But I want you to turn at this time to uh, the book of Hosea, which is just the next one over, where we're going to be next. Go to chapter 5, just a couple pages away. The greatest sin is singular. John 1, verse 11 It says, he came unto his own, his own people, Israel, and they received him not. Now, Hosea is commenting on this in chapter 5, verse 15. The I there is a reference to Jesus. He says, I will return again to my place. Well, here's a question. How can you return to a place unless you were once there? Good place for an amen. You have to bend there in order to return to it. Jesus came to the earth, and he returned. So that's what we have in view here. He says, I will return again to my place. But then he says, until they acknowledge their offense. And I want you to see here that it is not sins, plural. It is offense, singular. Till they seek my face, in their affliction they will diligently seek me. Now, we've been tying the book of Revelation and Daniel together. And we've been making the point, and we'll do it when we get to 927, that they don't fully repent and call upon the Lord until the very, very end of the Great Tribulation where they're a a remnant calling out upon the name of the Lord. So uh, in their affliction, this is when the Antichrist is after them. Now, the first couple verses of chapter 6, let's read the first three. This is the remnant saying, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn, he will heal us. He has stricken, he will bind us up. For how long? Well, after two days, he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Now, this is where one of the places where it's appropriate to say a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years. Years is like a day. It's been roughly 2,000 years since Jesus was here. And uh, it's one way of saying that he's been gone for two days. Now, if there's a third day, it says, on the third day he will raise us up that we might live in his sight. The third day, the 1,000 years, is a millennium. And where is Israel? Well, this is where he separates the sheep from the goats. And some of them will enter in and live in his sight for a thousand years. This is a prophecy from Hosea. And if you go back to the second one, to make an end of sins, the main sin of Israel is they did not recognize their Messiah when he came. But that was all part of God's perfect plan, according to the book of Romans. Blindness has happened in part to Israel because... And that because was the gospel might be preached to Cornelius, to me, to you, to Gentiles. So let's go back and look at the um, um, the third to make reconciliation for iniquity. 
During this period of 70 weeks, God has provided redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, of course, is for Jews and Gentiles. Well, the majority of the Gentiles rejected it and do to this day. So this has been fulfilled. Matter of fact, um, not only fulfilled, but when the Lord said, it is finished, what do you think that means in a Greek? <laughs> it is finished. To die. it's over, paid in full. So this has been fulfilled. Number four, and to bring in everlasting righteousness refers to the return of Christ at the end of the 490 years to establish the kingdom. Well, this clearly has not been fulfilled. There's people who actually teach we're living in the kingdom age right now today. And if we're living in the kingdom age today, I am extremely disappointed. This is not what I was hoping for. Then, number five, to seal up visions and prophecy means that all will be fulfilled uh, which will vindicate this prophecy as well as the other prophecies in Scripture. And the sixth thing that God will accomplish in this 490-year period of time is to anoint the most holy, having reference to the anointing of the holy of holies in the millennial temple, which Ezekiel spoke of. Now, we just finished Ezekiel. And if you remember from chapters 40 to 48, it was all about the kingdom in extremely great detail. And in it, one of the things that they do is give very precise measurements. And then the um, temple um, uh, being once again anointed for the most holy. So in verse 24, we're introduced to the time frame and basically the six things that are going to happen. Some have been fulfilled. Some have not been. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, remember Jerusalem is destroyed, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street will be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. I need you to make your way over to, because here is our starting point. Because it tells us, and this is what makes this the most amazing prophecy in the world. It tells us the time that the Jewish Messiah is going to come. Isn't that what we just read? Know therefore and understand that there's going to be a command given. You mark that time and now you have a starting point. And at the end of 69 weeks or 483 years or 173,880 days, the Messiah is supposed to show up. Question did, did he or didn't he? And where do we begin? Now, to go to Nehemiah, um, you need to go back towards the book of Ezra, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. And uh, I need you to turn to chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2 meets the requirements of Daniel 9 verse 25. The commandment to rebuild the city of Jerusalem was issued in the month Nisan, 445 BC. That then will be our starting point. Let me set the stage just a little bit here for this. Um, Here we find that um, 
Artaxerxes in verse 1. Nehemiah is his cupbearer. And I'll just read 1 through 8 here. Came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of king of uh, Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in the presence, his presence before. Well, Nehemiah was an up-temple type guy. I think the king didn't want it any other way. He didn't want doom and gloom around around, uh, the throne room. So one of the qualities of Nehemiah is the glass was mostly always uh, half full. Therefore, the king said to him, why is your face sad? In other words, he saw right through him. We can read body languages. I can, you can. And he says, are you sick? Uh, and he said, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. Then I became dreadfully afraid. Why? Because no, no feeling um, sorry for yourself in front of the king. It could be the death penalty. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies in waste and the gates are burned with fire. See, at this time... Um, uh, the king said to me, what do you request? And so I, I prayed to the God of heaven. That's one of these quickies. What do you want, Nehemiah? And said, Lord, help me right now. So I prayed to the Lord God of heaven, and I said to him, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your eyes, I ask you that you send me to Ju- Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So the king said to him, and the queen was also sitting beside him, how long are you going to be gone for, Nehemiah? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if you please the king, please give me letters to give to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they might permit me to pass through till I come to Judea. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that it might give us timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertain to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God that was upon me. The first, um, the 62 weeks, um, we have a, a man... Uh, who was the head of Scotland Yard. His name is Sir Robert Anderson. And in his book called The Coming Prince, he's worked out the time schedule from the first month of Nisan to the 10th of Nisan, which is brings us would bring us to, after 173,880 days, that brings us to April 6th, 32 AD. We have our starting point. And dividing them according to the Jewish year, our calendar is 364 or 5, and then we throw in a leap year every so often, so it all works out. But not on a Jewish calendar. It was always a 360-year calendar. He arrives by doing it at 483 years or 69 sevens. Now, what happened after this command was given 173,880 days later. The answer lies in Luke chapter 19, which I'll have you turn to next. The decree was given on March 14, 445 B.C. 69 weeks later, 
is what we call Palm Sunday. Whenever Jesus would heal somebody, he would often say, don't tell anybody, or your faith has made you whole. And um, when he healed uh, the, the ten lepers and only one came back, he said, isn't there anybody that's come back to give God glory? But not this time. This is the only time that the Lord not only accepts the worship and the praise from the crowds, but he even encourages it. Let's pick it up in verse 37. This is now Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives on the donkey. They're putting palm branches down. And verse 37 says, Now as they were drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they have seen. Just the day before, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Tell me that news didn't get around town. Half the town was there at the funeral. They knew he was dead for four days. And so that would tie into this event. And then they start quoting Psalm 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and heavy and glory in the highest. I won't have you turn there, but you might want to check it out later because it's in Psalm 118. We call it a messianic psalm. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. And you know, you get your Hallmark cards and it says this is the day that the Lord has made and we'll rejoice and we'll be glad in it. Well, it's a nice card, but it's out of context. In context, it's referring to a specific day. This is the day. And this psalm right here that they're singing could only be sung on this day. And the Pharisees knew it all too well. And verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called from the crowd and said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Basically, they're saying, they think you're the Messiah. And you're not correcting them. And instead of correcting them, he turns to them and he says, I tell you the truth, that if these would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And usually when I'm giving this study, I can't help but saying, oh, don't you just wish for a second they would have shut up. (laughs) Singing stones. And um, so instead of rebuking them, He says, no, this has to happen. What about Bible prophecy? What does Jesus say about it? It's all got to happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. If it's foretold, then it must come to pass. If the people don't praise me, then the creation will, and nothing can stop it. But then we have this emotional roller coaster ride from great joy to verse 41, where it says, and as he drew near, he saw the city, and he began to weep over the city, saying, Oh, if you had only known, especially even you, and this is important, underline it, in this your day. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is a special day, different from other days. The things that could have made for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Now the day will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side. Remember these next two verses when we get to the last verse of Daniel chapter 9 this morning. And they'll level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone upon another. 
Uh, this would have been Rome 38 years later in 70 AD, destroying Jerusalem. And then he said, because. This is going to happen because. You did not know the time of your visitation. What's the implication? They were supposed to know the time. Like Daniel, they're supposed to be reading Jeremiah. Like you and I, we're supposed to be studying Daniel, where it gives us to the very day that the Messiah would be revealed. Now, if that's not the greatest prophecy in the Bible, then you tell me one that is. Let's go back to verse 25 of Daniel 9. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, that's Nehemiah, start the clock, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, it's as clear as it can get. There will be the 69 weeks. The street shall be built again in a wall, even in troublesome times. There was only 50,000, less than 50,000, that went back. And um, there was a couple of guys named Shambalat and Tobiah. They were ridiculing the people that were working on the wall, discouraging them. That's where the news that Nehemiah got. Everybody's discouraged. Nobody wants to work. So then you have Ezariah, uh, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and they come and they start teaching the Bible from morning till night. And afterwards, the encouragement from the word, they built the wall and finished it in 52 days. Isn't that amazing? There should be awes going on right, right now over the crowd because it's from complete despair. Nehemiah, why are you so bummed out? I've never seen you like this. You're a positive type guy. Well, I just got word back from Jerusalem. No, nothing's happening. And he says, give me some money. Give me some papers, passports that get me in. Give me something where I have uh, money to buy materials that I need so we can minister to the people and encourage them. That's all I needed is a little encouragement. And the walls were built in 52 days. The troublesome time refers to these two oddballs, Shambhalad and Tobiah. This is literally one of their comments. Oh, you're building a wall. He said, even a fox could knock down that wall. And they, they would do this every day, just dis- discouraged the people. Brings us to um, verse 26. And after... The 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. And then it says, but not for himself. We have to just stop right here. Um, because what we have, now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 before I make my point with this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll, we'll read the first three verses where we have the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Well, there were no scriptures except the Old Testament scriptures. So what's he referring to? 
Oh, all my Bible study, when I laid it out, was going to be about this verse. And believe me, there's many, many examples that I want, want, wanted to give. I can only just mention a couple and comment on them briefly. But you're looking at one right here. In verse 26, after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. The word for cut off is the Hebrew word karat, which literally means to be executed. What? Now, if you're Jewish and you're a rabbi and you're reading this and you come to a verse like this, um, when I talk to my Jewish friends, they always allude to, well, the rabbi said. I said, have you ever read it for yourself? I mean, just... Look at it and read it. The, this, is, this is not rocket scientists in any way. Just read what it says. My Bible says that after the command was given, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be executed, but not for himself. What did Paul say? That um, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is one of the scriptures. Another one would be the whole story of Abraham and Isaac where he offered his son up, but there was divine intervention, but then he prophesied. He says, this is going to be fulfilled in the future, in the mount of the Lord, it will be seen. In other words, the very same place that Abraham offered up Isaac, that same spot is called Golgotha to this day. Then there's Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They pierced my hands and my feet. In great detail, Psalm 22 talks about the anguish that Jesus went through that we remembered this morning in in communion. Isaiah 53, uh, he bore the sins of many. And it gets into detail there about um, it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Why? Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of what? He wants a bride, just like Isaac wanted a bride. And um, he endured that because of his love for you. So whenever it says according to the scriptures, we have one here in Daniel that the Messiah is going to be executed, but not for himself. And then there's a complete change and whole new trade of thought where it talks about the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. We just read that in Luke 19. Jesus said, because you didn't get it, because you didn't know the time, you didn't know the day, here's the consequences. And 38 years later, Titus and the Tenth Roman Legion, along with other legions, surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and not one stone was left upon the other. The reason for that is the gold would melt down through uh, the stones, and to get to it, they literally ripped the place apart so they could get to the gold. So we know that in Jesus' time, fact of history in 70 AD, the people here is Rome, and the 10th Roman Legion under Titus, to be specific, But then it refers to the prince who is to come. Notice that's future tense, but he's a part of the Roman Empire. Now, this is where we've been talking about 
why it's so important to understand Daniel before you can understand the book of Revelation. It's important that you understand that there was a Roman Empire that once existed, that self-deteriorated, but out of it is going to come one yet future, out of the revived Roman Empire. That's the reference to this prince here who is the Antichrist. He hasn't come yet, and that empire is still yet future. He will destroy the city and the sanctuary. These were the Romans. And the end of it will be with a flood till the end wars and desolations will be determined. Now, we read in Hosea that after two days, or after a couple thousand years, it says we're going to return to the Lord. That's happened. And on May 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion declared Israel the state, a national state. They were immediately attacked by their enemies on all sides and against all odds survived. And they'll never be defeated again. We have a gap between verse 26 and 27 where what do we have so far? 69 weeks fulfilled. Well, 70 minus 69. (laughs) That's not too much of a one we should struggle with. you got one year left, one, one week or one seven-year period of time that remains. So we read, then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. And so in this gap, we have the stage now set for Daniel's 70th week. Now, we have an old license plate up in our office it just says Daniel's 70th week, or the 70th week of Daniel. It's one of the many names for the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation begins in Revelation 6 and ends in Revelation 19. It is exactly a seven-year period of time. Now, for those of you who have been taking this in, how many times have we referred to the Holy Spirit going into such detail that we get it to be seven by cutting it in half, where it says 42 months, 1,260 days, times, times, half a times, three and a half years. Why use different verbiage? So that we get the point that something significant is going to happen in the middle, three and a half and three and a half equal your seven years. So who the he here in verse 27 goes back to the prince in verse 26. He's the Antichrist. He's going to make a covenant with many for one week. This was actually attempted with Yasser Arafat and the Oslo Accord. For some of you old-timers, maybe remember that. That was a seven-year covenant. Did they keep it? No. No. Israel has given them everything, including the kitchen table, everything they've ever wanted, And they always get up and walk away because they only want one thing. Let me clarify that. The devil only wants one thing, and that's a complete annihilation of the Jewish people. Good place for an amen. That's what this is all about. So the Antichrist will make this peace treaty, and I believe part of it will be Israel being allowed to rebuild the temple because um, the Bible clearly predicts one. But in the middle of the week... All right, there it is, three and a half years in. What's been going on for the first three and a half years? 
We just covered it a couple weeks ago. Revelation 11, two witnesses. How long was their ministry for? 1,260 days. So for the first three and a half years, we have Moses and Elijah preaching the gospel. In the middle of the week, it comes to an end. He brings an end to the sacrifice and offering. Last week, we talked about Antioch Epiphanies as a foreshadow of doing exactly the same thing, where he goes into the temple, puts an image of Jupiter on there, and then pours swine, um, what do they call it, broth, over the whole thing, and that defiled it. And the angels were talking, and they said, how long is it going to take before it's restored again? And the number was 2,300 and some, roughly six-something six years. And um, so we had a foreshadowing of this event right here. So uh, God owes his people seven years. One more week. Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is Daniel's 70th week. Now, the prince is a Roman. He has to come out of the old, revived Roman Empire. That's why this stuff with uh, um, the Syrian Antichrist or the Muslim Antichrist, now he's got to come out of the old Roman Empire. And the other thing that this points out here is that this seven-year period of time is just for who? This is a test now. We've got to go back to verse 24. It's for Israel and the city of Jerusalem. All right, my point here is the church is not involved. This is why I have a problem with anything other than pre-wrath, okay? I don't even eat post-toasties, okay? (laughs) Don't get offended. Don't send me emails and just let it go at that, all right? We're Calvary Chapel. It happens to be one of our distinctives. It's not my personal hobby horse. But you can't dance around Daniel chapter 9 and put the church in here and get seven years just for Israel because the tribulation time of Jacob's trouble is a seven-year period of time. And the church is in heaven in Revelation chapter 5, which brings us to try to wind this whole thing up. After the church is removed from the earth, he will make a covenant with Israel. Israel will accept him as her Messiah. But in the middle of the week, he will break his covenant by placing an image in the temple, Revelation 13. This is the abomination of desolation. What Israel thought to be the millennium will turn out to be the great tribulation, Matthew 24. And only the coming of Christ can end this frightful period, Matthew 24. Uh, We are living, my friends, in the age of what we call the age of grace. And the 70th week of Daniel and the great tribulation and the time of Jacob's trouble is still yet future. Um, let's close this morning by going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul lays us out in chapter 5 about the great tribulation, the day of the Lord. The clock stopped 2,000 years ago. God's word has to be fulfilled. He owes Israel seven more years. The mistake of the early Jewish believers is they weren't studying Daniel. 
or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. They should have been telling the people what was coming down. And they didn't recognize it when it was there. Do you know that could be the same mistake that the church could make if they're not studying their Bible? And realize that the things that are happening in the Middle East are all setting the stage for the Great Tribulation? If we see that about to take place, how close are we to the rapture? It says in Matthew that it's going to be like in the days of Noah. People were um, taking their grills and taking Johnsonville brats and they were turning them over and then they were eating potato chips and um, life is normal, life is good, getting married, giving in marriage. In other words, life is normal. You know, some people say we're in the great tribulation right now. Wow. No, we're not. We're having brats this afternoon. At least we are. (laughs) But, you know, that's a sign because it's a time of normality. What we've learned this morning is the Bible tells us to the very day Jesus came. Can I get an amen there? When we get to chapter 12, I will give you the very days coming again at the second coming. Yeah, you heard me right, but we're not there yet, but we'll be there in a couple of weeks. What we don't know is this. Jesus said it, it'll be like the days of Noah, but no man knows the day or the hour of that time because it's going to be a time of, of um, um, people sowing and uh, there'll be two in a field, one will be taken, one will be left, and it'll come upon us just like that. Chapter 5 of Thessalonians But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. What is going to be the reaction of a world when they have millions of people suddenly disappear? That sounds crazy to a lot of people, but not to us who know our Bible. It's it's perfect sense. And... um, immediately the tribulation will begin because there will be the unthinkable has happened. In Noah's day, the unthinkable was it was going to rain. never rained before. Now it's raining, and people are dying. Only eight were saved. But then when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that you should overtake you as a thief. You see, you've been studying Daniel, Revelation. You've watched the pieces start to come together. You're sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope for salvation. I think of the ten virgins here that were told to wait for the Lord's return. Some of them had oil in their lamps and they were watching and some had no oil at all. And then there was a cry, the Lord is coming. And the ones who had the oil went out to meet the Lord and the other ones said, hey, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, sorry, you gotta go get your own. It's a picture, I believe, of... um, both called virgins, called Christians, but not all of them were born again. Not all of them, they knew about the Lord, but they didn't know their Lord. 
And that's what the parable really means. The parable ends with the Lord saying this, therefore, watch and be ready. My question, watch for what? The greatest miracle in our time is regathering of the nation of Israel. And in the parable of the fig tree, Jesus said, that generation that sees that is going to see the fulfillment of all things. Whoa, that's a pretty heavy statement for the Lord to make. Okay, verse 9, a very important verse, for God has not appointed us to wrath. What is the great tribulation? But the wrath of the Lamb. That's exactly what it's called. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, scare one another to death with these words. Right? No. If we know what we know, what's coming down the pike, and I'm not saved, then, like I said last week, we should be afraid, be very afraid. But for those of us that are children of the light and children of the day, therefore comfort one another with these words, just as you are doing. Is all this going to happen? Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop what we studied this morning. There will be this terrible period of time. And what it should do is give us incentive to, um, as the Bible says, number your days. And to realize that you just got so many. And then we get to give an account what we did with them. It says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all these other things will be added unto it. You know, the real joy in um, this holiday as we honor and remember our nation. Um, I'm less than pessimistic for our nation. And um, I don't see a great revival. I see just the opposite. I see us going down a slippery slide. Um, It doesn't mean that there won't be the Church of Philadelphia that will keep the word of God, have open doors. But the Bible says, remember, narrow is a gate, and how many get in? Few. Broad is a gate that leads to destruction. How many get in them? A whole lot more. And the fact of the matter is we've gotten away from the Bible, we've gotten away from prayer, and we've gotten away from prophecy. Daniel chapter 9 is the greatest chapter on prayer and prophecy in the Bible. And I hope, I hope you see it as such. And, uh, but having said all that, I hope, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you're doing, that we have a blessed hope and God knows how to deliver those that are his. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this unbelievable message that you've given to us in Daniel chapter 9. Lord, I, I pray that for those that are hearing it for the first time, it's an awful lot to take in. I pray for them that you'd help them grasp it. And for those of us that uh, need to be reminded of... Um, your exhortation to watch and to be ready, that we would heed that. Thank you so much for the Bible, Lord. And I just pray you bless this holiday weekend as family and friends get together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.